everybody, welcome to Inspiring African Travel. This is James here. And if this is your first time listening with us, wow, thank you so much. Um, this is really the place to be. If you love Africa, particularly everything about traveling in Africa, uh, the cultures, unrivaled wildlife, and the wilderness areas that we've got, and the wonderful people, well, here at Inspiring African Travel, we aim to share all of this through our stories and our interviews. So welcome along and thanks for tuning in. Today's episode is part two. So if you haven't listened to part one where we introduce you to Grant Reed and the African Guide Academy, please jump back and have a listen to the first episode um, and you don't want to miss the introductory story, uh, quite a funny one. In this second and final part of the interview, we'll discover more about how you can come to Botswana and you can spend anything from seven days to a full month or more immersed in the Okavango Delta, learning the art of guiding. Um, but we're also going to dig a little bit deeper as to how you can do all of that. But at the same time, you can give back and support women empowerment um, and support locals uh, while you're having an epic experience in the wilderness doing this wonderful travel products. So please enjoy. Over to you, Stu. Um, so a lot of our listeners on the podcast are, are also travel kind of professionals eh, in the travel industry, selling African safaris and, and so on from all over the world. Is your product something that they can sell on to their clients and uh, recommend your your um, academy to their clients for people who are interested? Because, I mean, they get a lot of these requests where people are looking for something unique, but they don't really know what they're looking for. So how does... How does a travel professional go about kind of um, promoting your your academy to their clients, and and how does it all work? Obviously, it's longer. It's like it's a longer than a normal safari. So there's lots of logistics there that need to be considered. Um, okay, so yes, uh, we've we've set it up so that it works. You know, we're very much in the tourism game, um, so we have set it up uh, so that it is commission based. We have uh, net and rack rates. Um, so we have a number of agents, there's probably about 30 or 40 agents out there that do sell our product, have it on the website. Um, there's probably five or six of them that, that sell it particularly well, that have either the right clientele or um, have the ability to sell it. Um, it's very important to know and understand the product that you're sending the right type of people. It is for the right type of person, an absolutely life-changing experience. But if you've got people looking to do a soft safari that come and do this as a cheap safari, then it's not going to work out. Um, so it, it's really important. Uh, you know, you can only really sell it if you are a boutique African specialist and you take time to really talk to your clients, understand what they're about. If you've got repeat clients that you really um, understand or, you know, clients that are looking to go out and do a sabbatical, people who've been working 16 hour days for 16 years and just, you know, really need to reconnect. So there's, you know, our, our market is quite, quite broad in terms of, you know, the people I've mentioned, the gap years, um, you know, the, the early retirees who've been to Africa a number of times and now want to get much deeper into it. So you've got to understand the the type of person, um, and then yes, there's you know the the courses run between single uh, a single week with the track and sign course is a, a week long. We have the wilderness trails, which is the one I talked about earlier, being a primitive trails course, um, and that's a week long. 
Um, but you can also then do the trails guide uh, course. You can do so both of our, our month long courses are broken into uh, two week modules. So you can come and do two weeks this year in your leave cycle. And then you can come back and finish that course the next year and come and do another two weeks. Um, and because of the modular nature of the course, you can come and do the track and sound course for a week. And then you can do two weeks of trails guide or you can do the full four weeks of trails guide. So you can put together a one week course, a three week course, a five week course, a six week course. You can do the track. The um, We get a lot of people doing nature guide and trails guide back to back. So they come and do a full two months of training. So you're not tied into particularly a long course, but you can you can make it as long as you want. Um, and we get a lot of people that come and do a month of trails every year. That's their that's their holiday. That's their vacation. And all they want to come and do is build up their hours on foot um, and up and you know gain higher qualifications, redo their advanced rifle handling, and you know that's all they ever want to do for for a holiday. So you do end up getting a fair number of repeat people who just actually you know once you've done the nature guide course, you're probably not going to repeat that course. But once you get into trails and the, the track and sign and the primitive trails, those are the types of courses where you can often end up with repeat clients. And they also tie in really well, like those week-long courses tie in really well with doing something really, you know, like a high-end camp and then really back to basics. Uh, for people that are coming to Africa to do a, um, if you've got people doing a self-drive course, you know, a week-long track and sign um, you know, because on those track and sign and the wilderness trails courses, we also teach a lot about the bush skills, etc. So you, you then when you go out and you rent a vehicle, you actually know what you're doing out there in the wilderness and you can pick up tracks and you can listen for alarm calls and you understand the bush. So there's a lot of different people you can sell it to and a lot of different ways that it can can help build a, a fairly unique package to to Botswana. I mean, I like the I like the modular setup because you know, uh, not everyone has endless amounts of time um, to do long extended courses, but I'm sure, like you say, you get a lot of people coming back again and again, because once they get a taste of it, they just want to continue to grow that knowledge and, and take it further. So uh, yeah, it's, it sounds like an amazing setup. And I guess one of the best ways as well, um, Grant, just judging by the, the different courses on offer and the flexibility is they can engage you guys and just say, you know, like this is the client, this is how many days they've got um, and this is what they have in mind. And, and you can sort of help, um, you know, uh, plan, plan their trip around what, what would, what would be available on your side. Is it, is that, is that one of the best ways to go about it? Yeah, absolutely. Then just set up a, a zoom or a WhatsApp chat. Um, and, you know, I'm always happy to chat to people, explain to them a little bit more about the product. Obviously we have a lot of the information on the web, but we are, we, we far more enjoy kind of a bit of a personal chat and, you know, getting to know the agents, getting to know the people that they're bringing. Um, if people have questions, you know, we're always happy to, you know, whether we're talking to the agent or the end consumer, um, you know, we, we just want to make sure that we end up with the right people out there. Uh, you know, it's not a, it's, it's not a volume product. Uh, we don't need a lot of people. We just need the right people. And, um, as long as we're getting the right people out there, it's, uh, it, it, it's a phenomenal experience. I think it's going to become more and more the norm is, you know, more and more people's trips to Africa will have to incorporate and should incorporate something, um, truly, uh, life-changing and, and different. So, it's a it's it's a great product that that everybody should become um, accustomed with. And I've got two 
questions here just just on 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 the side of um of women because i mean i know you're a big uh, fan of the podcast grant you've obviously listened to all of our our episodes Absolutely. um the first the first episode was florence cajiso who was the the first guide at choby game lodge the first female guide at choby game lodge in 2007 and uh, correct me if i'm wrong but she came through your system and you've set up women in wilderness and have been instrumental in guiding or, or training a lot of females into the guiding profession talk a little bit about what you've done there and you know why this is such a good experience for for not just uh, local uh, Botswana women but women from all over the world to learn how how to be a guide yeah thanks james it's a it's a very good question um we've we've worked very hard to to open our arms um you know as, as a company to two women um 60 of the people who go onto our website and look at our guide training courses as internationals are women um and 40 percent of the internationals that actually book and come on a course are women so we haven't quite achieved what we wanted to where, you know, where every woman out there feels like they can come and do it. But women in many aspects make better guides than men do. They don't have the, they don't have the egos. They don't have all the, uh, you, you know, kind of this uh, bravado that goes with it. Uh, women are incredible communicators. They're far more compassionate, um, you know, than men in general. Um, and, you know, they, they, they tend to give people a really good sense of, of, of being looked after. Uh, women are very, very conscientious in, in their studies. A lot of the female guides I know that have been in the industry for five years, um, in terms of knowledge, outstrip the male guides because male guides um, very often settle in very quickly. I feel like they've got nothing to prove and, uh, you know, they stop the learning process early in their career. And on another aspect in, you know, on the shooting range, because a lot of people, you know, there's still this, you know, we, a lot of people still got this sort of sexist thing in mind, like, yeah, that's fine. Woman can lead me on a game drive, but if I'm going on a walk, I want to be behind a guy. Um, and I can tell you what I've seen it time after time after time that women outshoot the men and I feel safer behind a woman on trail than I do behind a man. Um, you know, shooting, shooting technique is not about strength. You can't, you can't overpower the rifle. It doesn't matter how hard you pull the trigger. The bullet doesn't go faster when it comes out the barrel. It's all technique. And because women don't have the physical strength, whether it comes to Mokoro polling or rifle handling or any of that, they learn technique. They are quicker, they are smoother, and they are in many cases more accurate um, than men. And, you know, our message to women out there is, you know, you, you can do it. Um, and we've got five women out there, five local uh, women out there at Quap at the moment, training up to, to become guides. Um, we've also got three international women out there um, who have now just finishing trails guide, uh, done exceptionally well. Um, so, yeah, it's, uh, we, we're slowly getting the message out there, but we haven't, we haven't got to where we want to be. But we are evangelical about trying to get women to to come out and do this experience, um, and I, you know, it's it's as empowering for for women as it is for men. Yeah, well done, well done, you guys and your work, and and keep it up. 
uh, we need we need more women out there in in these kind of positions and uh, and also just yesterday we got the news that uh, Florence Cajiso um, got the National Geographic Readers Award for innovator innovator best innovator um, oh, for sharing wow. her story about you know being you know the first female guide at the lodge uh, with a group of twelve men and uh, she certainly proved herself and I think you you guys played a role there in certainly giving her the belief that. Uh, that you know she can do what she can do and uh more and more women are in guiding positions right throughout the country so so top stuff well congratulations to florence very very proud of her and uh, we uh, we love to follow the, the the career path and the the lives of of the students that move through the academy and to to hear of their successes and uh, it's, it's very very heartwarming news to hear it from your side, Grant, obviously with someone with all your experience, um, to hear about kind of your, your faith and, and your belief in women's abilities to guide, I mean, it really means something. Um, and I think people should uh, should take that to heart. Um, if, if a you know, woman out there thinking about guiding and wanting to get into guiding, um, it's definitely worth, it's definitely something they should do. Um, maybe just also, if we just break away a little bit and just tell us, I mean, for you, I mean, you've obviously... Uh, you you wouldn't have set this this business up and all your other safari businesses if you weren't uh, seriously passionate about the bush and uh, and and the safari industry. So you know maybe just share us a little bit about your personal experience. How did you really get into it all? What led you into the travel industry and uh, what keeps you in it? Yeah, thanks. Um, I guess the journey started when I was about three years old when my father took me snake hunting for the first time. Uh, we used to go and catch snakes on the, the hills behind us. We were very fortunate to go up in the Macalisberg Mountains. And I guess from about the age I was six or seven, I was going out. Snakes were my, my major passion growing up. You know, <laughs> it sounds wrong to say, but I learned about a lot of the other stuff because it was food for the snakes. So I, I started learning about frogs and things like that because I'd have to catch them for, for snake food. But I spent my entire childhood immersed in the in the wilderness and climbing down old mine excavation pits, rescuing animals that had dropped in there, you know, kind of rappelling down by rope and digging up termite mounds and looking for for new and interesting things. And I spent uh, every available moment, and uh, I guess some moments that were supposed to not be available when I was bunking out of school to do it. But I. Um, <laughs> I, uh, I, I didn't waste, a, I, I don't think, a moment of my childhood where I wasn't out running around in the, in the bush. Um, and my father was a, a guide. He used to lead weekend trails. So I would join him on the weekends and walk back up for him, uh, which was a very cool experience. Um, and then when I was 16, I, I, I basically qualified as a guide for the Wildlife and Environmental Society of Southern Africa started leading weekend trails and uh, then studied nature conservation at the moment I left school. Um, and the day I graduated, I moved into the bush and uh, yeah, I've never left. I went on, went, I did go back and study again to do a post-grad, but I did that while I was working. Um, so I've, uh, I guess I always knew that I was going to end up somehow in this line. I always saw myself more in nature conservation and being a game ranger than, than tourism. But the, life just worked out that way that I ended up in the in the tourism side and uh, absolutely, absolutely loved it. And the places you love, Grant, I mean, you're out in the wilderness whenever you get the chance to, you know, in your own free time. Um, you know, obviously you've got the, you've got the Okavango and the greater, greater Botswana wilderness there on your doorstep. 
maybe tell us, you know, what would you love to do right now if you had a week, you and your family, to go out? Where would you go? Maybe somewhere in Botswana that's close by, and and where else in Africa would you would you want to go to straight away if you had the chance? Oh, okay. Um, well, this time of year, uh, I think the Kalahari always. Uh, pulls my heartstrings, so either the, the Kalahari or the, the Kalahari Trans Frontier Park. I'm a, I'm a wilderness lover. I don't, need, I don't need lions and elephant and buffalo. I appreciate them when I see them. Um, but for me, the greatest wilderness experience is to be as far away from mankind. I love all you people dearly, but I do like to get away from you when I'm in the bush. Um, so I'm, I'm at my happiest when I don't hear airplanes, I don't see cars. And I can just sit and watch and observe. And, uh, you know, I'm, I'm quite meditative, I guess, when I'm in the bush. Outside of Botswana, um, I really want to get back to Gabon. Um, it's a place I want to start doing some private guiding. I'm going back to Gabon in March. If I could leave tomorrow, I would. Um, although with the uh, current situation in flights, I doubt, <laughs> I doubt that would be possible. I did have a look at the drive. It'll only take me five and a half days, which is... Uh, you know, almost doable. <laughs> Five and a half days is manageable. Maybe it's uh, at, at this rate, it's the best option. But Kaban sounds fascinating. You say you've been there before. Have you done it? A, have you done it a few times, or is it uh, quite a new destination for you? It's a fairly new destination. I was quite surprised. I went down there on a on a fishing trip with some friends, um, and we ended up fishing on the southern border of the Lungu National Park. And I was blown away just by the you know, hearing the chimpanzees in the forests and seeing these massive, you know, Tusker forest elephants, although they're smaller than our Botswana elephants, you know, with tusks reaching almost down to the ground, walking through the water and hippos in the waves and, you know, red river hogs on the, on the beaches. It's a, it's a, I didn't, I had no idea that Gabon was, was that wild. Um, I, I was really pleasantly surprised and, uh, so going back this time, I'm going to spend a little bit more time there, uh, less time fishing and more time just kind of doing the, the birding and the, the wildlife watching and checking out a few locations. Um, and then probably start looking 2023, 20, 24 to start taking a couple of groups up there. But polish up my French a little bit first there. Yeah, I can imagine. And I mean, what's the infrastructure, the tourism infrastructure and stuff like this? Yeah, the tourism infrastructure is difficult. And that's why I think it only really works as a, you know, kind of private guide destination. It's very expensive um, to self-drive there. They get over four meters of rain a year in some places, um, over 10 meters of rain a year. So, you know, you don't know what you're doing self-driving. Um, you know, you can get yourself into a bit of trouble. Um, there is the ability to, to charter flights, but the road network is fairly limited. The most, about 80% of the country is just tropical forest, um, which is obviously very alluring, um, but makes the logistics quite difficult. So, yes, it, it is a difficult place to travel. It is an expensive, it's very much a connoisseur's destination. But in comparison to a lot of the other West African countries, it offers a wilderness experience that is, um, is superior. Sounds fascinating. I think, um, well, our next uh, series is going to be uncovering some of our African experiences that we've had as, 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 as us as a trio. Um, so we're going to be doing Uganda and the, and the primates, U Uganda and Rwanda and the primates experiences that we had there uh, with the chimps, gorillas and, and, and golden monkeys. But uh, I think we've, we've spoken about doing uh, a, a few episodes on uncovering some unexplored areas of uh, 
of Africa and might be really cool to get you on again and maybe with one of your contacts from Gabon and just talk a little bit about that place because uh, those are the kind of places that are seriously alluring. No, it's important. And, you know, places like Gabon need people to travel there. You know, the tourism infrastructure doesn't build itself without tourists. And you need, you need the, the hardcore tourists that are going to go to these places so that people see the opportunity and people see the need. Uh, you don't want places like Gabon to disappear and those wilderness areas to you know, disappear to forestry because it's more lucrative than tourism. You know, tourism is just one of those incredibly, um, you know, self-sustaining models, uh, you know, and we've got to move away from Africa feeling like it's more profitable to cut down a forest and, you know, get rich in a couple of years than have a resource that will be there for many hundreds of years. And so the, the sustainability of the tourism model is something we need to show the world. And the only way we can do that is by getting in and traveling there. And that's why I'm quite passionate about taking people to, you know, places that are a little bit off the map rather than doing what everybody else is doing. Yeah, awesome chatting, Ron. And I, I have to say, I vouch for the fact, you know, when you were talking about the Kalahari earlier and being there, I've, I was with you there when we went to... Um, Oh, when we went to Makalodi, yeah, it was amazing. I mean, it had just rained the day before and we did that walk out there and, you know, to see your passion and, and your knowledge of the smaller creatures, the butterflies, the worms, the, the, the flowers, the grasses, um, you know, it opens your eyes to the world beneath your feet. And uh, I, I, I can see a lot of that is what you and your guides bring to that whole experience of the nature guiding courses and the Africa Guide Academy. And I'm throwing you uh, with, a, with, a, with a bit of a curveball question, but maybe putting you on the spot will help. Your, your experiences, Grant, as an individual in, in the trips that you've done with guiding um, guests out there at the guiding school and doing the training, is there a, an experience or is there a moment or is there an individual which you've, who've, you've you've touched out there in terms of uh, changing their lives or is there something that stands out for you as a person or an experience in all your years of training guides out there that stands out as you know that you constantly remember james there's a there's a, there's a number of people that in a number of moments uh, where i really felt like you know we we really made a difference um, not only out there in the training moments, but, you know, seeing people later down the line and sitting around the campfire with some of the guides we trained. I guess there's one guy who really sticks out in my mind. His name was Etienne. He was a, he was a, he was a very spoiled, rich kid who came from, his father was a, a ma major, major farmer in Swaziland, came from a very privileged life, and he arrived on the, on the guide training course, and he was just, you know, he was a typical entitled kid. Uh, didn't really feel like he had to do anything. He was a bit too cool for the course. Um, and he ended up failing the course. And, you know, that's one thing with, with these courses. The hardest thing as a trainer, you know, there's a competency level. <laughs> you know, we don't, we don't give those certificates away. It's something you earn. If you give them away, you undermine the achievement of everybody that put in the work. And, you know, we also, the, those people carry the African Guide Academy, um, you know, brand with them for the rest of their lives. So, we don't, we don't give the certificates away for free. Um, anyway, this kid ended up failing the course. Um, he, was, he was really difficult. I had to pull him aside a few times, give him a really stern talking to. Didn't want to get involved, didn't roll his sleeves up, didn't get involved with the rest of the group. Um, 
And he, at the end of the course, he ended up coming up to me in tears and saying that he was really, really sorry that he'd messed it up. And he was going to borrow the money from his father to come back and do the course. He came back, to his word, he came back a year later and he was a completely different kid. In fact, he wasn't a kid. He was a young man. And he did the course, passed with flying colors. And, um, yeah, just uh, he had... He had evolved so quickly and, and so thoroughly as an individual. Um, and, you know, it's a, you know that, that could well have happened without us, but it was nice to be instrumental in, you know, in triggering the process that may, may have happened anyway. But, yeah, there's, there's been a lot of people out there like that over the years. That's just one that kind of sticks out at the top of my mind when you, when you start brain me with the question. That's a cool story. I mean, I, and I think, I mean, you said it's I mean, I, I think your course definitely had an impact on, on him. I mean, because uh, it's a really good example of where you take someone out of their kind of entitled um, lifestyle that they have and, and, you, and you level the playing fields um, and it genuinely changes people's lives. So that's a really cool story. Thank you. Is he, has he gone on um, to do well in life? Eh? Are you still in touch with him? I know a few ETNs out there that uh, could do with a little life lesson. <laughs> I have to say, James, I, I lost touch with him. He was, he was doing very well. Um, I actually have lost touch with him. I haven't heard from him in the last five years. But, uh, you know, with the, with the type of person he was when he left that course, he was going to go on to do good things. So uh, I have no doubt that he's, uh, he's gone on and, uh, and done great things. Brilliant. Um, I think that pretty much sums up uh, our chat. That's um, really loved it. Love, love talking to you and, 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 and what you guys have done there. And I've actually learned a lot more. Um, despite all of our road trips together, uh, I, 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 lots of things I still didn't know about what you do on a day-to-day -day basis, Grant. So nice to hear that you actually do some work. <laughs> Thanks, Jen. Thanks. You've been awesome chatting to you guys. And, uh, yeah, we just uh, keep, our, keep our chin up, smile on our face, and hope tourism bounces back in a hurry. And uh, yeah, wishing everybody out there that's listening, that's in the tourism industry, a uh, happy and swift recovery. Yeah, thanks, Grant. Lovely chatting, man. It's uh, keep it up, and uh, the guy, uh, the travels will return, no doubt. Yeah. Absolutely. There you have it, guys. Well, thank you very much, and um, th it's a, an amazing experience. A great product. Uh, do get in touch with the guys. We'll have everything in our in our show notes on the podcast of how to get in touch with uh, Grant and the Africa Guide Academy. And you can reach out to them and ask them questions. On, and if you've got anyone who would be of interest to this, I can promise you that it you will not be disappointed. And uh, this is this is something that is growing and growing every year. And coming out of this whole COVID experience and knowing that people want more wilderness experiences out there um, from the source markets overseas that this is the kind of place and the property and the product that you should be uh, putting out there and selling so I uh, hope it continues to grow and expand Grant and uh, send our best to everybody at the at the base there in Mount and I can't wait to get back. Nakabad, listen you guys have a great Christmas and uh, yeah thanks for the chat. Cool. Keep well. Catch you soon. Okay. Cheers, man. Okay, Thanks, man. Does it? Bye. Bye, guys. Ciao.